The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Monday, everybody. Welcome back. It actually feels to me like it's been a longer weekend than it has. I recorded a lot of last week's shows in clumps in the middle of the week. I think I did a couple at the beginning of the week and then a couple in the middle of the week. And that now, with no actual... Well, there's Olympic basketball, but we're not going to be getting into much of that because fantasy-wise, meh. With no... NBA games going on right now. I can record these shows whenever I want. As it turns out, I am doing today's show uh, right before release, so you're getting this one on time. But I think of the Friday show I recorded on either maybe even Wednesday of last week. Look ahead pod mode. So I don't know that I've actually done any yelling into a microphone to myself, and hopefully subsequently some of you guys, in like five days. That's a really long break for me. Got to loosen the pipes up again. So with that in mind, welcome to the show. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. That's hoop-ball.com, the website, at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets also on Twitter. That covers all of our other stuff as well, including gaming, team coverage, and all that good stuff. I am at my name. No, don't type in M-Y-N-A-M-E, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Quick shout out to our buddy Vince Miracle, brand new show airing on Saturday morning. And a lot of times it's going to come out Friday night. Sometimes it'll be Saturday morning. It's a brand new MMA betting show, which is a little niche I know. I don't know how many of you guys listen to this pod, also follow MMA. Personally, I don't. What I do enjoy is winning money. So this is a way, this is a show that's going to be focused on how to bet mixed martial arts. Vince Miracle, who you've heard on this podcast, he was actually, he was my co-host when this show started. Before we even had a traditional podcast feed, we were the co-hosts of this one. So Vince, the show is called Walk to the Cage. It has two meanings, ladies and gentlemen. That is why it is funny. And that is why I explain it, because things that are funny need explaining. Walk to the cage like the cage in MMA, or walk to the cage like cashing a ticket. The cashier. That's my favorite cage. So that show, again, called Walk to the Cage, it is available uh, everywhere podcasts are distributed. You can also just follow at Gaming on Twitter. That's where all of our free plays go out. That's where the pods go out, the daily show hosted by the great Devin Ellington today in sports betting. There are now two betting pods on the HoopBall Network and growing. And if you want to be a part of our rapidly growing podcast network, hit me up at Dan Vespers on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. That's just a straight-up old email address and say, Dan, I want to learn how to pod. Again, doesn't even have to be a sports show. But in any event, in any event... No matter what event it may be, we have a show to do. Today, we'll be talking about our buddies over at mybookie.ag at some point. We'll also be finishing up the Southeast Division with the Wiz, because nobody beats them at having guys that are being paid $37 million or more. 
Let's start by talking about the Wizards. We'll throw a promo somewhere in the middle of the show. And again, as warned last week, these will be our shortest shows of the calendar year. This little, this little tiny set between the end of the finals and the beginning of free agency. It's like a week and a half, basically. These will be the shortest shows because nothing else is going on. It's just team recap. If we have a particularly small, short team recap, we might even do two. Wizards are going to be intriguing, if only because there is a ton of uncertainty on who is actually going to be on this team next year. They have plenty of money committed to very few players. Robin Lopez, $7 million off the books. Ish Smith, $6 million off the books. Otherwise, handful of guys on the books. Thomas Bryant said to make $8.5 million whenever he comes back from his massive injury, which will be midseason at the earliest. Davis Bertans is actually signed the longest of anyone on the Wizards right now. He has a deal that runs through 2024 25 season, although that last one is non-guaranteed, but regardless, that's a very long time. Smaller contracts, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, a couple of rookie deals that are still rumbling along. Chandler Hutchison is actually still, I believe, on his rookie deal. He came out at a, an older age and then was acquired in a midseason trade. Isak Banga off the books. Raul Neto off the books. Daniel Gafford has a couple of non-guaranteed years that they'll probably lock him into because he actually looked like their best center down the stretch. Uh, Alex Len off the books, but that was only $1.5 million. And then you're really into the the nothing guys, like Garrison Matthews, who wasn't even technically on the books, I don't think, this year. He was a two-way guy. What do we make of all of this? Just from a broad overview standpoint, the simple explanation of the Wizards is that at some point in the not-too-distant future, this is a team that's going to be making a hard choice. That hard choice is, do they think they can be a competitive basketball team in the Eastern Conference with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal as the two star-level players on it? With the current makeup, the answer is a very clear and hard no. The guys they had around those dudes just weren't good enough. Thomas Bryant being hurt, yeah, that was a big deal. He was playing well before he went down he was just going to get better and better at playing alongside Beal and Westbrook as the season went on, but that's just, that's cooked now. Davis Bertans never really looked like himself this year, and I don't know that's something that's going to magically reappear for him. He was number 172 in nine category leagues this year. He missed 15 regular season games, averaged 11.5 points, three threes, three boards, and that was pretty much it. Good free throw percent, but the field goal number was very low. Anything we were hoping to get out of Davis Bertans, we only got for week-long stretches. But overall, it was a massive disappointment. His minutes were down by almost four per game this year against last. He shot 3% under his career marker in uh, field goal percent. He was about a percentage point below his career marker in three-point percent, but about 3% lower than his recent number in that category. Rebounds were down largely because of Russell Westbrook. Assists were down largely because of Russell Westbrook. Steals and blocks were, uh, well, blocks were down. I can't fully explain that one other than uh, just more minutes away from the bucket. Or, it's hard to say. 
One thing we do know about Davis is that he just wasn't really ever healthy this year. And there were these brief, very brief stretches where he looked like he was getting closer to being healthy, but was never quite all the way there. He missed three games in the middle of January. He missed two games in February. Uh, He missed, I think, like 10 games in March. And so every time it looked like maybe he was going to round a corner and get somewhere near the old Davis, something derailed it. Whether it was Westbrook having a game where he took 35 shots, Beal having a game where he took 35 shots, or Bertans himself just not being healthy enough to play for sustained stretches or any number of games in a row, he wasn't himself. He wasn't good. The closest... I would argue, we got to Davis playing well was actually after his last injury. And one of the other problems that got lumped in there is that, well, first of all, he came back, played four games, missed a game, played two, missed two. So even then, it wasn't all the way there. But at least over that stretch, he had game, he had stretches where it was like five, six, seven games in a row where he was scoring in double figures. And that just wasn't even happening earlier in the year. From a fantasy perspective things actually didn't change all that much for Bertans, even when the scoring was a little bit more consistent. It was just consistent and also a little bit low. But at least it was like, okay, well, he's going to get his 8.5 or whatever shots per ballgame. What we need and what I don't imagine could possibly happen as long as Russ and Beal are both on this Wizards team is we need Bertans to be getting 10 shots or more per ballgame. His value is so heavily tied up in three-pointers and free-throw percent, and then subsequently his ability to actually get a couple of points on the board, that you take even the tiniest bit away from that, those categories. Field goal, uh, three-point attempts and free-throw attempts, and his value spirals into the toilet. And this was a guy that was cruising along at like top 75, top 80 for pretty much the entire season last year with stretches where he was better than that, top 50 for runs, and this year 170-something with three and a half minutes and two shots coming off the board and then half a block per ballgame, but I don't know that we could ever really trust that he was on his way to getting .6 again. I mean, it seemed reasonable because it was right on on line with his per 36s. It was ugly. It was ugly. I do think he'll be better next year because of that very low field goal percent. Although, it's worth noting, last year, 8.5 of his 11 and chain shots came from downtown. This year, 7.5 of his 8.5 shots came from downtown. He did nothing inside the three-point line. So his field goal percent was all three-pointers. Two-pointers weren't doing anything to it. Still, I don't, I don't think we should worry too much about that. When you draft Davis Bertans, or if, we should probably say this year around, if someone drafts Davis Bertans, they should be doing it exclusively for three-pointers. You're not expecting him to hit a bunch of twos, and uh, you're not expecting that to weigh heavily on the field goal percent. Would I draft him this coming year? It depends a little bit on what the Wizards do this offseason. Because as the year pushed through, it became clear that a Daniel Gafford-Rui Hachimura frontcourt was actually better than having Davis in there, because he was getting roasted on defense, and offensively it didn't seem like he was fully healthy. So he became more of a bench gunner type, and there just honestly wasn't enough 
shot attempts or time off the bench for him to get where he needed to go. If we find out that things are changing and Davis is getting put back in the starting lineup to be, I don't know what, because Rui's going to start. That'll be one of the next guys we talk about here. How does this work? How, what about when Thomas Bryant comes back? That's just even more of a log jam. So I'm saying no. I vote no on Davis Bertans. I think there's better places to get your three-pointers, and I don't think there's much in the way of upside so long as both superstars remain on that basketball team. There's a slightly larger path for all of these guys if Russ or Beal is traded or even has to miss more than a couple games in a row because those guys are taking 20 shots or more a night. But don't worry, we'll loop around to the superstars later. So Davis Bertans get a fat no from me. Thomas Bryant gets a no from me because he's going to be starting the year injured. Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, the young guys, and Daniel Gafford. Those are the three names I want to dive into a little bit more as we work our way through today's podcast before we hit back on the superstars. sad part is Thomas Bryant was actually the third best fantasy player on this team, and Davis was actually the fourth best, and fifth was Aul Neto. So that already tells you how far we kind of need to go on this stuff. Denny Avdia, we'll start with him. He's out. He missed the last, what was it, about a month of the season with a fractured ankle. Uh, recovery time on that can vary, but I would assume he's not quite at 100% at the start of next year. He could be playing but I don't think he'll be at 100%. And that's a damn shame because he's a guy that actually profiles as extremely interesting fantasy-wise if he's given any sort of responsibility whatsoever. I don't think you can take what he did this year and draw a straight line to what would happen if he had more minutes. His per 36s, and everybody's, everybody's per 36s when you play with Beal and Russ everybody is going to have their per 36s artificially depressed by the ability uh ability is not a great word for it by just the presence of two guys that take every touch on offense when you play alongside Beal and Russ your job is not to pass your job is not to shoot unless you're wide the hell open then you get a couple your job isn't even to rebound. This is part of what playing with Russell Westbrook does to fantasy players on his own team. He saps them of all of the things that they can do. And this isn't me saying that Russell Westbrook is like some awful basketball player. This is from a fantasy-only standpoint. He is uh, he's a wormhole. He's a wormhole. Nothing in fantasy exists around him other than another superstar. We've seen Paul George actually play really well alongside Westbrook. We saw Beal put up pretty good numbers alongside him this year because there are times where they get into a bit of a take-turns offense. So the other superstar gets everything that Russ doesn't do, and that leaves scraps, table scraps, for nine other guys or whoever many dudes a team is playing. It's just not the same as some other... I mean, like James Harden, for instance. Ultra-high usage guy, tons of shots per game. Guys around him find a way to do other stuff. Like, you don't need to let Harden get 11 rebounds a game. Your, your 
scheme is not everyone box out, let Russ get the board and run. That's what the Bucks do with Giannis, but Giannis is better than Russ, so it works a little bit better. Russ is going to get those rebounds, so he's going to impact small forwards, power forwards, and centers on the rebounding front. He's going to start and often end offense, so he's going to impact assists and scoring, assists particularly from the guards on his team, but the scoring from everyone. It just doesn't leave anything. If you can't rack up defensive stats or great percentages, I don't see how you exist in a fantasy scape alongside Beal and Westbrook together. It's why Thomas Bryant was the only other player on the Wizards who even sniffed fantasy value in his starting role. And it's why Daniel Gafford, who we'll talk about in a minute, was the other player who was able to get close to fantasy value because they were able to do the very few things you're still allowed to do when you're playing alongside Beal and Russ, which is, with Bryant, it was extremely high field goal percent combined with a little bit of scoring because he had enough clout to go take a couple of shots a ball game. Nine, I know, a whopper of a number. Daniel Gafford, not really allowed to take so many shots, but mondo field goal percent and blocked shots in a way that Thomas Bryant couldn't. So these tiny little things, you have uh, field goal percent, steals, blocks, field goal percent, free throw percent, turnovers. Those are the only things you might have an opportunity to do alongside Beal and Westbrook, and it's why those are the only two guys who came anywhere near fantasy value. It also means that if Beal or Westbrook is gone, Beal took 23 shots a game this year, Russ took 19, and those numbers, I think with Russ, that was on the way up near the end of the year, and uh, with Beal, was it on the way down, or was pretty much the same, I guess, as the year went on. We can look at, like, the last three months of the season. Uh, they, they hovered together somewhere in the 42 combined shots. So just take away half of those, distribute them among the rest of the team. Uh, and really, the Russ factor is a bigger one than Beal because Russ is taking all the rebounds. Russ is taking all the assists. You move him off of the stage and 12 and a half boards and 12 and a half assists, this is the last three months of the year, go back into the community. Beal gets two of those. Uh, this year, Neto would have probably gotten a couple or Smith would have gotten a couple the rebounds, they go to the center. That's Gafford. They go to Rui Hachimura at the power forward spot. I finished this very long diatribe with the note that I don't see how they trade Russell Westbrook. They traded for him and got out from under John Wall, which is an upgrade for the Wizards. Westbrook is better than Wall at this stage of their two careers. Wall can't stay on the court. Russ was actually relatively healthy this year by all accounts, especially down the stretch. He was playing pretty well for them the last couple months of the year. Which makes him, I guess, a little easier to trade, but he's still due another $80, $90 million over the next two seasons because he's going to take his player option for $47 million. And there's like a handful, uh, less than a handful of players in the NBA you could trade Westbrook for with this year and next year still on the payroll. There's a couple. Next year, when he's making $47 million and he's an expiring contract, that's a different story. This year, it's going to be tough. Lord knows I'm sure they're going to try. And what do we think? 5% chance he gets moved? Not zero. Beal, on the other hand, is movable. He's got uh, this coming year at just $34.5 million. Pretty reasonable for someone who's bordering on, like, megastar status. He's a star. Not quite, not a superstar. Not, not 
actually even all that close. And then only $37 million next year, which seems like a weird thing to say, but that's not that insane for someone who's as good as Bradley Beal. That's movable both this year and next year. And, you know, a lot of damn teams are going to be calling about Beal. So the Wizards, this was the first thing I said about the team. They have, this, they have one huge decision to make. Do we or even can we trade one of these two guys? And if we do, I'm sure we, the Wizards, would rather be trading Russell Westbrook, but we, the Wizards, would have a much easier time moving Beal. We'll handicap. Under the assumption that both of those guys are there to start this coming season, I don't know that that's going to be true. And I will tell you, before this podcast is done, who potentially moves over the cut line if Beal is the guy who gets traded. If Westbrook is the guy who gets traded, then almost everybody has a chance to move over the cut line. Bertans gets a bump. Rui gets a bump. Denny gets a bump. Gafford gets a bump while he's the starter. I don't know what the Bryant-Gafford situation is going to look like by midseason. And that leads to another interesting side note here, which I'd like to segue into now. So this, this artificial depression that's going on, it's not going anywhere as long as Westbrook is in town. So as long as Westbrook is in town, I don't see how you can draft a guy like a Rui Hachimura outside of a points format, because that's really all he does is score and rebound. Decent field goal percent, not a great free throw shooter, so it's not like those are going to power lift you up into the air. Uh, we already said Bertans is a no, Bryant's a no because he's hurt to start the year. Avdia is a no because there's just not going to be enough usage and we don't know how how good he's going to look at the beginning of the season when presumably he's recovered six months on a broken ankle. You should be able to do it, but there's there's going to be a lot that goes into getting him back to solid health status, like full actual basketball strength. If... Westbrook is moved, which I still don't think is a possibility. Uh, sorry, if Beal is moved, which is a possibility, uh, you're really just distributing shots. So you want to handicap the rest of these guys on who gets a few more shots and does that make a difference to them? Rui Hachimura and Davis Bertans are guys that move a hell of a lot closer to the cut line with more shots. If Beal is gone and Davis is getting 10 and a half, 11 shots a game instead of eight, that puts him in the top 100 category. If Rui gets 14 shots instead of 12, that actually probably pushes him closer to that top 100 territory as well. I think I'd rather have Davis between those two guys if a superstar is moved. Oddly, if no one gets moved, uh, neither guy has a category league option, but at least Rui has a path towards points league value if neither superstar is moved Avdia is an interesting test case because if Beal is moved it more directly reflects his position on the floor because they're both kind of small forward ish Beal more shooting guard Avdia more small forward uh, but unless Denny shows a big jump in field goal percent free throw percent steals and blocks we're probably not quite there on a Beal trade the way that a Westbrook trade would catapult him into more ball handling and more rebounding. So Avdia, I'm still mostly on the outside looking in, especially with the injury stuff hanging over him. And then Daniel Gafford's an interesting one. Uh, very curious where he gets drafted because you have the looming specter of a Thomas Bryant return at some point. I don't know, January, maybe, something like that, hanging over it. But if you can get Gafford after the top 100, and he's the guy out there playing 
whatever it is. Like, remember, towards the playoffs, end of the season, Gafford in 20 minutes a game was a fantasy value. Like, in 18 minutes over the last month and change, he was number 118. 10.6 boards, 1.7 blocks. 67% from the field. He was basically the time lord in that amount of time. Uh, and his minutes just slowly kept rising. The last 30 days, he was at 18.3 minutes per game. He didn't get a whole lot higher than that over the last, like, three weeks. Didn't fluctuate that dramatically. But then I believe in their play-in game, he got more. So they were kind of capping him out around 18 minutes. They were insisting on playing Alex Len 14 minutes a game. Breton saw a few minutes at small ball center. Robin Lopez was still on the roster, and he was seeing 15, 16 minutes a game. Lopez coming off the roster and Len coming off the roster are actually pretty big deals for Gafford the first two months of the year. At some point, that's timeshare with Thomas Bryant, and probably at some point, Bryant pulls out in front. But if you're looking at this from a roto standpoint, if you can get 20-plus minutes out of Gafford to start the year, he makes a ton of sense as a late-round grab and just see what you can milk out of it. We don't really have the data to point to with Gafford and say, hey, look, this is what he would do if you gave him 20 minutes a ball game. Because it's happened so so very rarely that, like, looking at a, uh, a game log with him, you can find one every once in a blue moon. He had one with Chicago early this year. He played 22 minutes uh, on New Year's Eve and had 15 and 5 with a block and a couple of steals. I mean, that's a good ball game. You can go to uh, April 16th. He played 26 minutes and had 18 and 7 with four blocks. He played 24 minutes a week later against the Warriors, had 19 and 10 with three blocks. But the minutes were all over the map. After that, he, he dropped right back down to 16, uh, then a 15, and then he played 27 minutes and had 12 and 6 with, I believe, four steals and four blocks. And in, uh, in April, when it seemed like his minutes were actually leveling off a little bit more, they weren't, by the way. It was sort of a mirage. He had a 22-minute game where he went for 13-7, and seven, a 25-minute game where he went for 9-7 and seven with two blocks, uh, and a 21-minute game, second-to-last game of the regular season, 12-5 and five with three blocks. So I'll say this. Uh, you can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose which games you're hunting because over that whole stretch, he was still only playing 18 minutes a ballgame. The thing that we can say on Gafford is that when he cleared 20 minutes, he was top 80 or better. That's what you can say. Because his per 30... And this falls into that category of stuff we've talked about on the podcast. When you're getting into the later round picks, you are per 36 stat hunting. And Gafford is one of those guys. The Wizards may very well bring in a veteran center to play a handful of minutes. But it probably won't be two veteran centers, which I can't in good conscience, call Alex Len a veteran center, but for this roster, he effectively was. A team that started with Thomas Bryant as the guy at the beginning of the year with Robin Lopez as his backup, lost Bryant, had Lopez brought in Gafford. I think they brought in Len partway through the year as well, and it was three guys all playing 16 minutes apiece while they were just sort of evaluating. And then uh, Gafford, if memory serves, he got the call in the play-in game, which, where the hell that disappeared to, I find the damn play-in game for the Wizards. Uh, and that might be a, roughly what you'd get out of him next season 
until Thomas Bryant makes his return, but we don't know when that's going to be, and we know there's going to be a big ramp-up. So I actually really like Gafford as someone who... And you have to pardon me on this one. The Wizards actually got into the playoffs and lost to the 76ers, so there's a little bit more playoff-level data with him than I was remembering. And you guys were probably yelling at me the last two minutes while listening to the podcast. Hey, he played in the playoffs too. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, forgot the Wizards got beat by the Wiz. He played, Gafford did, in the postseason. We can, even, we can just skip the play-in game, which, by the way, I can tell you, he played 21 minutes and had 12-5 and five with a couple of blocks against the Celtics. Or the, uh, yeah, in Boston. Uh, and then Indiana, he had 15-13 and 13 with five blocks. So the play-in games were actually quite robust. And his playoff games against the Wizards and Joel freaking Embiid Still got 23 and a half minutes per game, average 12 and 6 with a steal and two blocks. That is awesome fantasy stuff in 23 minutes per game. I don't know that he's going to get 23 minutes per game, but if he does, he'll be cooking until Bryant comes back. So if you're in Roto Games Cap, I'm saying go for it, man. Go for it anywhere past the top 100 with Gafford. If someone's taking him in front of that marker, I would consider it. But then you really have to get into the math a little bit more. You start to think about what if Bryant comes back in early January, January, February, March, and half of April. Then you only really get two and a half months out of Gafford being the man by himself. Probably gets pushed back into the 19-20 minute range, but that's still around the top 100 for him. So yeah, I think I think I may have just convinced myself live on air that I would take him inside the top 100 even with Thomas Bryant potentially ready to come back. Now, if they sign another center, we'll have to reassess a little bit, but Daniel Gafford is on my short list of guys that I think uh, you may see some reticence to go buck wild with him because it's not going to be his job all season long, but Games Cap Roto, absolutely. And now the superstars, and these are relatively quick. If they're both still in Washington, this is a pretty easy thing to handicap. Towards the end of the season, Westbrook was starting to play much, much better. And I think we can probably do this by just saying, like, let's look at the last 35 games for everybody on the team. Russ was number 24. Beal was number 35. Yeah, he actually passed him. Because Russ uh, wasn't the worst in the world at both percentages. He was still pretty bad, but he no longer was the worst in the known universe. Would I trust Russ to keep that pace up inside the top 30 on this team without Scott Brooks just telling him, do whatever the hell you want, Russ? Eh, it's questionable. But, and and there's always the possibility that you end up having to punt free throws with him, and that's really a tough thing to stomach. But the field goal percent started to get better as the year went on, and maybe that was a health thing for him. The points, the rebounds, the assists, they're all going to be pretty high I think you have to dial it back down a little bit, and I would look at Russ more as a fourth-rounder, but he probably doesn't fall that far. And with Beal, uh, it's, it's almost hard, it's almost inexplicable to say that someone that was scoring 30 points a game was outside the top 50. And honestly, it's not entirely clear why. He was at 30 points, two threes, four boards, four assists, just under a steal, and .3 blocks per game on 49% shooting from the field. I don't really get how he fell that far in that context. It really, it, it, 
uh, it doesn't make sense to me other than the idea that maybe there were some small sample size guys around the league that pushed him. And also his steals were extremely low during that one. Uh, but I think you can look at Beal as uh, a second rounder this year. That's a pretty safe bet. Even if he plays under that from a per game standpoint, he's pretty damn tough. Even this year with Wizards dealing with all sorts of stuff, he still got to 60 games, which is basically league average. And, uh, uh, wait a minute. Let's make sure we're doing this right. Make sure we're cutting it off before the before the play-in game. Yeah, we are. Okay, so that's good. And then Russ, who was actually better than league average in games played, he got to 65 games on the year. I mean, he'll sit out some of the back-to-backs probably, but they're going to be pushing, and they'll probably be a team where we have to reassess after free agency. And that is your Washington Wizards. So Beal, I think a pretty safe second-rounder. Westbrook, maybe you're looking at a fourth-rounder with some upside. If he starts going in the second round, you very you very pa- much pass on that. And then Daniel Gafford. Once we know where he's going, we can make a call on it. But right now, I look at his name, and I think this is a guy with massive, massive per-game upside, and I would love to target him for a Gamescap Roto format. And then, you know, just deal with it when Bryant comes back. Kind of play it by ear at that point. By the way, if you guys want to start betting with us over at mybookie.ag, maybe throw some coin on the Olympics, let me know. I will open your account and make your first deposit for you in the off-season only. This is not a deal that's going to run through draft season even. If you want to do it, now is the time. Hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Tomorrow, I will remind you all about the HoopBall loyalty program, but for today, we got to shut her down. Have a great Monday, everybody. We'll start the Central Division on tomorrow's show. That's interesting. Have a great one. We'll talk to you there. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.